our message this morning. And by the way, good morning. <laughs> um, it's always a high Sabbath when you have an opportunity for a baptism or someone comes on by profession of faith uh, or uh, they just join the church and you vote them in. And uh, we have that privilege today. It's always nice to see the family grow. And before we do that, uh, I want to thank Robbie for the scripture reading and that choir. You know, I was here two Sabbaths ago. Did the choir grow, didn't it? <laughs> it, it looks like there's more people up there. But it, it was wonderful. And when you go on tour, you just can go here. You know, that's... Uh... But anyway, uh, before we... Um, what we need to do is to do the business. And so we had a reading last week for Kim Batzer and Alyssa Batzer. And now we bring it to a second vote, which you vote on. How many would be in favor of bringing them into fellowship? Kim Batzer and Alyssa Batzer. Okay? It carries unanimously. Okay? So right now I'd like to have Kim and Alyssa come up. Uh, the church has a gift for you. Uh, this sermon is not just something I put together. Suri uh, left for Sabbath school, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and it's your com- computer? Oh, okay, yeah. yeah and this sermon's not even possible without Suri. So uh, we want to thank Suri, and he's a busy man today. Yeah, <laughs> very busy. Uh, when we look at Revelation chapter 14... Uh, someone came up to me and said, you know, there's, there's three angels in Revelation 14. Well, actually, there is more than that. But we usually talk about how many? We talk about three. But I want us to talk about seven. Because there are seven angels. Now, one of them is found in Revelation 18. 
but we'll see why that's part of the seventh. It ties into the first three. And uh, before we begin, let's bow our head for a word of prayer. Our Father, as we consider Revelation 14, which is a chapter, it means everything to us, a chapter of which you give us instructions as your last day saints to go forward in faith, to give a message to the world, to prepare for the great and awesome coming of Jesus Christ. So, Father, we do pray for wisdom from above. We, we are helpless without the Holy Spirit leading us into truth. And so, Father, we ask that you would quicken our minds to understand more deeply spiritual things and to help us understand the commission that you have given to us. And we know that every commission comes also with your power. So, Father, we ask your blessing to guide us at this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would turn to Revelation 14, some of you may have not read it recently. So I would like us to go ahead and read through the chapter so we're all familiar with the information. Uh, Because if I just start speaking, we're not familiar with what's in the chapter, a lot of things are just going to go over our head. So let's go ahead and I'll read it aloud and you follow along. And we're not going to be able to cover Revelation 14 in one sermon. So this is a series. And I don't even know how long the series is. But I know this is a chapter... We need to experience, not just understand. This is all about who we are as a people. So Revelation 14. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion. And with him 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, and they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile. For they are without fault before the throne. Now, before I go on, every time before God shows us an earthly scene, like after this, he's going to show us the three angels' messages and other things, he always gives us a heavenly scene first, which tells us that when we wake up in the morning, before we think about what's going to happen on earth, we should do what? Lift our thoughts heavenward. Revelation always, every section, begins with something about heaven and then tells you what's going to happen on the earth. So let's now read the beginning of these angels. And I saw another angel, and this is means another means another series of sevens, another series of angels. Okay? And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell upon the earth, to every nation and kindred and tongue and people saying with a loud voice so everybody can hear, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven and the earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. And there followed another angel, a second one, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed them, 
saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. And you'll you generally see those three things always mentioned together. Worship of the beast, image of the beast, mark of the beast. Okay? Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, blessed are they which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. And I looked and behold a white cloud. And upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, Jesus, having on his head a golden crown and his, and his hand a sharp sickle. Now, just stop there. What's Jesus ready to do? He's coming back. Yeah. He has left the temple in heaven as priest, put on his kingly robes. He's got the crown. He's got the sickle in his hand. It's harvest time. And another angel, that would be how many now? Four, but this is actually the fifth. Because number four is in another chapter, and I'll show that in a little bit. Okay? You're saying my math is really bad, but it's not. This really is number five. And here's the thing. We want to get to number five, right? We want to get to the second coming. But you can't get to number five unless you do what? One, two, three, and four. Is that right? We can't go one, five, six, seven. To get to go home, we've got to do one, two, three, four, and then five. And six and seven. And that's going to be a real theme for us. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud. Thrust in the sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Meaning God's people are what? They're ready. They've come to full maturity now. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Praise God. And then what? Another angel, number six. Thank you. (laughs) Another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven. He also having a sharp sickle. And another what? Angel, number seven, came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in the sharp sickle. Gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came up out of the winepress, even unto the horse's bridle, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Now, I'd like us to turn to Revelation 18. But before we do this, let's stay in 14. I want to show you something. In the first angel, in verse 6, you have the word glory. You see that? In verse number 8, you have the second angel, and he's talking about Babylon has fallen. Is that right? 
And beginning with verse 9 through 11, you have a third angel who talks about the penalty for worshiping the beast. Okay? So you've got these elements. Now, let's turn to Revelation 18. And we'll begin with verse 1 because there's another angel. And after these things I saw what? And this is actually number 4. Thank you. Come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with whose glory? God's glory. That's the same as you find in the first angel. Notice what it says. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying what? Babylon the great is what? Is fallen and fallen. That's the second angel, isn't it? Is fallen, is fallen, is become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, what? Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. That sounds very much like the third angel. That if you do this, this is what happens. So in this fourth angel, you have the elements of the first three. Okay? Now, normally when we, when we look at Revelation 14, we generally look at this structure. And it's true. This is the structure. But I'm wanting us to look at it from the view of seven angels. But let's look at the structure that we've always looked at. Incorrectly so. Verses 1 through 5 is about the who? The 144,000. What a beautiful way to describe God's people in the end of time. A group of people who have the Father's name on their on their forehead. And do you realize that when you receive your new name and your robe, that when you go around the universe and visit other planets, they'll know that you're from where? The new earth. Hey, they're one of the redeemed, you see. It'll be a very special thing, right? To be part of the redeemed, to go through this experience. I know we would probably rather have been born in a world that never fell. But you realize by being born in this world and getting to know the Savior, we'll share something with Christ no other world could share. He was tempted in all points as we are, and yet, without sin, and now through His grace, we can experience the same opposition He did that other worlds don't face. And so we can actually draw closer to Christ than if we had never sinned in this world. And then in verse 14, 6 through 12, we have what we have always called, and rightly so, the what? The three angels' messages. But one of the reasons I want us to talk about the fourth angel is because for years, we have been going one, two, three, five, six, seven. And I'll explain that a little later if we have time, but it will be in the series. We're still here, not because we haven't preached the three we haven't preached number four. One, two, three, five, six, seven won't get us to five. Only by going one, two, three, what? Four, five, six, seven. Okay? But as we look at the normal structure, let's look at, after the three angels' message, look at this special verse, Revelation fourteen thirteen. Is it okay if I spend a little time with this chapter? Because I tell you, if I just go through this really fast, we will not understand what we need to know. So, now I want you to notice something in verse 13. After the 144,000, 
after this description, I'm sorry. Oh, since I'm moving. Do I need to start over and say welcome or? <laughs> Is it on? Okay. So in Revelation chapter 13, look at this very special verse. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from what? From a certain point of time till the second coming, right? They die from henceforth. He's not talking about all who've died in the Lord. He's only talking about people who've died in the Lord from a certain point until the second coming. And he says, From henceforth, yea, save the spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Now, the logic would be that we're talking about people who've died in the Lord in the end of time. Would you agree? I mean, chapter 13 is about two superpowers that take over the world, and almost the whole world wanders after the beast. And chapter 14 is God's response to a world that's forcing people to worship a certain way. And how does God fight against evil? He doesn't use F-16s. He doesn't use ICBM missiles, does he? He says to fight against these two superpowers that are deceiving and enforcing worship, you know what I have to have? I have to have a group of people who follow Jesus, what? Wherever he goes, because that is the only hope this world has of not being deceived. If all they see is the false and never see the authentic true, it's just too easy for the devil to deceive them. We have to strive to be amongst this 144,000. That whole description should be the hunger of our faith. And not to earn anything, but to just give praise to God because he's worthy to have such a people. And so he begins with this, but the context of this special resurrection, but you know, they're discovering I'm not very techy. Okay. Rather... I think it's on. <laughs> okay. Red light means on. Okay. So in the context of this verse, the 144,000, when do they live? The very end of verse history. In fact, so much to the end that they never see, they never die. They're going to be alive when Jesus comes. I mean, that's right at the very end, isn't it? And blessed are those who die from henceforth. And then you have the three angels' messages. And what we'll discover in this sermon, that angel number one began to be preached in 1831. And the second angel, we'll discover this. I haven't proved anything yet, but I will. The summer of 1844. The third angel began October 22nd of 1844. Blessed are those who die from what? Henceforth, when this message began to be preached. Everybody who's had a part in this three angels' messages, plus number four, and has died in the Lord, has remained faithful unto death, will be part of a what? A special resurrection to witness the coming of the Lord. Isn't that precious? Because when Jesus comes here and he's here, then his voice rolls throughout the earth and then he raises all the living saints from time. 
But there will be a group who die from henceforth who will be able to be raised in a special resurrection, look up in the sky and see a little what? Just a little dark spot, but it's getting closer and closer because what is it? Jesus is on his way. What a special, special blessing that is. So, Revelation 14, 1 through 5, 144,000. Revelation 14, 6 through 12, a message. So God's response to two superpowers that enforce worship and deceive people is to say, I need a sanctified people, and I've got a message. I don't have weapons, I have the word. And that's how we're going to reach people. And then he gives us this beautiful promise in verse 13 to encourage us and say, you know, if you're part of this, if you're striving to be amongst the 144,000, and you, you commit yourself to get this message out, you will be part of a very special resurrection to see the Lord come closer and closer and closer. As it gets closer, you start, that looks like an angel, you know? And you start figuring out, you start seeing the figures. What a, what a blessing. Imagine how your heart will be pumping. And then we get into verses 14 through 16 that we read. And that's the fifth angel that talks about the resurrection of the saints. Jesus is coming with his sickle, and the description of the first resurrection is those that he comes to harvest who are saying, come Lord Jesus. You imagine if you and I are alive at that time, you have to be part of the 144,000, to look up in the sky and say, thrust in the sickle. Imagine what you must be thinking at that moment. If you're amongst 144,000, you know that Jesus will be there how soon? I mean, in a very short time. And you realize the whole controversy is what? It's done. It's done. Praise God. Trust in the sickle. Enough of this. Finally, we cross the finish line. Get to go home. You imagine the feeling. To have that. Oh, I want us to get to that fifth angel. But angel 6 and 7, verses 17 through 20, says that there really are, as Jesus taught, there are how many harvests? There's two. There's just two groups. People who will receive eternal life and those who will not. And our work isn't to take over City Hall. Our work is to prepare as many people as we possibly can in the shortness of this time to be part of angel number five. To be part of the harvest. And to get as many people to be part of angel five, you and I have to do angels one through four. That's our commission. We haven't spelled it out, but the Bible does, and we'll talk about each one of them, and we'll just take our time. Is that okay? Now, you might think my typing's bad, and sometimes it is, but first angel, second angel, third angel, we saw that the fourth angel's in chapter what? And then I did a space. I did that on purpose. Because in Revelation, when you have sevens, there's the first four, the last three, and there's a difference between them. Always. And we'll look at that here in a second. The first three angels, or the first four angels... Talk about preaching to the world, right? And the reason you're to preach to the world because people still have time to be what? People still have time to be saved. 
But the last three angels is the time of what? Harvest. That means all the cases have already been what? They've already been decided. And that's why the three angels, the last three angels are not preaching a message to the world. There's always a difference between the first four and the last three. And that's an important principle to understand Revelation. Okay? Look at the seven seals, four plus three. The first four seals are described as horsemen. White horse, red horse, black horse, pale horse. But the last three are not. They're described differently. Four plus three. Of the seven trumpets, the last three are called woe trumpets, but the first trumpets are not called woe trumpets. Four plus three. There's always a division. Seven last plagues. The last three are universal. Darkness covers the earth. Armageddon is not a battle in the Middle East. It's, it's worldwide. That's important. People are all messed up on the battle of Armageddon, thinking it's all going to be in the Middle East. And yet, if they just follow this one simple principle, there's a difference between the first four and the last three. And you know the first four can't be universal because if all the water in the world became blood, how long would life last? Five days. You wouldn't need any other plagues. And so in these first four plagues, they're not universal. Some of the seas will be like blood. Some of the rivers will be like blood, but it won't be all water. They are regional or whatever, however God decides to do that, but they're not universal. And you take that principle and you look at the seven heads. These represent the seven world empires beginning with Babylon. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and then the space. Papacy, and then after the papacy, the next world power in prophecy is the United States. And after that, the United Nations. What's the difference between the first four and the last three? The first four conquer one another. Medo-Persia conquers Babylon, right? Greece conquers Medo-Persia. Rome conquers Greece. But the last three do what? Man, they're going to work together. They're going to do just the opposite. So you can see where it's really important to understand some of these principles. Now, there's a lot of sevens in the book of Revelation. There's seven churches we're very familiar. These are the ones we're most familiar with. Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven last plagues. But I want us to know what John says about the seven churches and angels. Because what I'm trying to get to on this part that angels in Revelation could represent not just celestial heavenly angels, but who else? Could actually represent people. When you see angel in Revelation, you have to understand by the context, is it talking about a heavenly angel? Or is it talking about God's people? Okay? So let's look at Revelation, the seven angels of of the seven churches. Notice what John writes. John is told, thou, what thou seest, write in a book and send it where? So John's writing in a book, the book of Revelation. And in his, Jesus' hand has these seven stars in his hand. And we find out in verse 20, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. So John's writing and he's going to send what he's writing to the seven churches. And without a doubt, he's sending it to the seven stars of the seven churches. Who are the seven stars? Celestial or human? 
Now, if these seven angels are in heaven and they're around God's throne, why does God want John to write a letter to them and then send it to heaven when God could just talk to them himself? It's because these seven angels represent God's people. In fact, more specifically, uh, the leaders of these churches. Now, the Greek word for angel is agalo, or angelo, literally means messenger, whether celestial or human. And here is a reference to John the Baptist. Notice this. For this is he, John the Baptist, of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger, my angelo, before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. And then there's some other verses, I think at the bottom of this, this slide, that have other verses just in the New Testament where the word angel is actually in reference to people. Okay? So we know the word's used that way. And remember, angel just means what? means a messenger. And we can be messengers, right? Just like the angels. Now notice what this statement says. Um, can we raise that a little bit? Is that possible? There's a little bit more to this quote. I don't want to touch it because he's going to be better at it. So, Oh, I see. Put another book there. I'll give the reference. Okay. Well, maybe I didn't fit it all in the slide, but I think there's enough there. It says, God's ministers are symbolized by the seven stars, which he holds in his, uh, uh, which he who is the first and last has under his special care and protection. The seven stars of heaven are under God's control. He fills them with light. He guides and directs their movements. If he did not, they would become fallen stars. So with his ministers, they are but instruments in his hands, and all the good they do, the end of the verse, is, of course, by God's blessing. Right? So there we have, not only do we know just logically the seven angels of the seven churches would be the leaders of these churches, but we have that backed up by spirit of prophecy. When we look at the seven angels of the seven trumpets, I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets, and the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Are these seven angels heavenly or human? Look at the first verse. I saw the seven angels which did what? Stood before God. So we know that these are heavenly. They're not human. But the seven angels of the seven churches were what? They were human. These ones are heavenly. The seven angels and the seven last plagues. I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. Human or Celestial. Celestial. Because the only people left alive at this time are the 144,000. And they're certainly not receiving plagues that cast upon the earth, right? They are indirectly affected by the plagues, but they're not the direct recipients of it. So these are heavenly angels. Which now brings us to Revelation 14. We talked about seven angels. Human or celestial? Because if they're human, this is a description of who? You. <laughs> is that interesting? That you and I, are in the end of time, are being described as angels, messengers. 
It's important, isn't it? So let's go ahead and look at this. I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. This is Revelation 14, 6. Saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Right? Revelation 14, 6. Celestial or human? Um, I don't, somehow my whole quote didn't fit on this slide. The angels are represented as flying in the midst of heaven, proclaiming to the world a message of warning, having a direct bearing upon the people living in the last days of this earth's history. No one hears the voice of these angels, for they are a symbol to represent who? The people of God. So when we look at these seven angels of Revelation 14, you and I are reading about who? Us. And so what we want to do is look at each angel because this is really about the people of God. This is about what we need to be doing to get ready for the fifth, the coming of the Lord. Does that seem fair enough? Okay. Now, because we're called angels or messengers, the word means messengers, that you and I must therefore have a message to the world. Uh, it's not our opinions. It's simply, as we talked about Sabbath school, we're an ambassador. God has given us this message. And that's how we know for certainty we'll be successful. Because whose message is it? It is God's message. And it's going to be successful because he says in Revelation 6, 14, 6, I saw another angel fly in the what? And that last comment, we are called to fly. This is an important pitch because we know this is us. This isn't actually a little angel flying in heaven. This is God's people flying through the midst of heaven. Now think about what this picture doesn't say. It doesn't say, John says, I saw an angel representing God's people flying through the midst of heaven and then it hit turbulence and it shot down and it crashed and burned. It doesn't say that, does it? You know what it says? They continued. They continued flying. They didn't drop. They didn't drop altitude. They continued flying through the midst of heaven. Is that encouraging? You know, Mike shared with me the idea of doing a seminar that helps people. And whatever your passion might be, it may be a seminar doing books, all I can tell you is do what? Fly. Don't get discouraged. You and I, in these last days, are called not to crawl, not to give up. We are to fly. We are to fly through the midst of heaven and not lose any strength, not lose any momentum, and you just keep going forward. Because that is actually the description of God's people in the end of time. And it's important that we maintain that picture because you could go out there and get discouraged. You know, I had shared with you a couple Sabbaths ago, uh, one of the things I do for, for worship is to read a chapter in, in the Gospels and then write down a verse. And as I was going back over my cards this morning and thinking about part of what's in the sermon here, in Matthew 5.14, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. It's saying the same thing as fly. You just fly. Whatever God wants you to do, fly. 
Be a city on a hill. Don't hide your light. So let's just say you knock on a hundred doors and only one person takes a book. How many houses were you a city on a hill? A hundred. Not one. Because these people, these 99, you know what they're going to remember? Is your kind face. And that someone knocked on the door offering something that nobody else has ever offered them. You just shown you're flying. You being a light to the world has nothing to do with numbers. It has to do with just your faithfulness to be a city on a hill every day. It has to do with this idea that you don't crash and burn, you just keep flying. It's not about numbers. It's about visibility and getting people, everybody, an opportunity to get enough light to make an intelligent decision at the end of time. That's what you're offering people. When Jesus went into Capernaum, and it says of Capernaum that God will judge Capernaum more severely than who? Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because Capernaum saw a what? They saw a great light. And yet Capernaum did what? They rejected that light. And because Capernaum rejected that light, did that mean Jesus wasn't a light? No. Jesus was a light. And no matter the response of Capernaum, Jesus is still a light. And you're still a light. So you knock on a hundred doors, one responds, you're a light, you're a city on a hill to a hundred houses. Very important. I remember years ago when we helped raise up this little school and we took the students out almost every afternoon knocking on doors. And some people's comments was, I have never seen young people like this before. They'll never forget that. And that's what you're doing. You're planting a seed. And you have no idea when that Holy Spirit's going to bring that to come alive. But it's in their mind, it's in their heart. And we want to meet as many people as we can. Do you agree? Touch as many lives as you can. Just be a city on a hill. Don't worry about the numbers. Just worry about being visible and being a light. Okay? And so when I look at this three angels' messages, and a lot of times we're just looking at the theology of it. But there's a lot more to these messages than just theology. It's encouragement. And one of the things that we're going to discover is that when you are described as an angel flying through the midst of heaven, not only is that to give us confidence to keep moving forward, but one of the reasons you're described as an angel is because you're to cooperate with who? Heaven itself. That we're not alone. How many angels are there? In fact, there's a statement in the, in the Spirit of Prophecy that says that in this verse, Revelation 14, 6, it represents us cooperating with uh, the universe. Wow. Imagine the whole universe is rooting for, you, rooting for us. The whole universe is saying, fly, you're almost home. Shine, be a city on a hill. You're almost there. The fourth angel's just around the corner. And then you get to number five. And Jesus is here. That's what the whole universe, they're just watching, encouraging, want to encourage us. First angel's message. I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, 
having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. First angel's message. Now, we haven't got into the message, and we won't even do that in this sermon. I just want to get a sense of timing. The outline of that message, you notice that in verse 6, in this first angel's message, which only makes sense is it begins with preaching what? The everlasting gospel. Because whatever you give a Bible study on, whether it's the state of the dead or the law, you must always preface it with what? The gospel itself. Okay? Everything that you teach, everything you and I do, ought to be meshed with the gospel. Okay? But also in this first angel's message, we're told to not only preach the everlasting gospel, but preach that gospel with telling the world to fear God and give glory to him. How do you give glory to God? Yes. Oh, I saw. Absolutely. When you choose to be like your maker, that's when you choose to glorify him. When you and I choose not to be like him, we're not glorifying God. Now, you can't, you and I can't become like him all in one day. It is a work of a what? A lifetime. Where you hunger day by day to add to your faith so you become more like who? Jesus Christ. To be conformed into that beautiful, sinless, perfect image of Jesus. Wow. The highest goal you could ever have. Goal in your life. But with this everlasting gospel, give glory to God. And then we got to tell the world that something has started. The judgment has already come. Has this already happened in history? Yeah, time of Noah. Noah preached that there was a judgment coming for how long? 120 years and said, you know, there's a flood coming. And we all got to get ready, spiritually ready. How many people got on the ark? Eight people. How many people in the world? Billions. There would have been billions. These people lived 900 years and had a whole bunch of kids. Right? And then we're to preach the everlasting gospel, glorify God, choose to be like Him, tell them that the judgment's already started, and when it's over, every case has been decided, and tell them, because it's necessary in this world, worship God who made what? Because by and large, the world is not doing what? They're really not worshiping God who made heaven and earth. And in one perspective... It's because of evolution. But the other thing is the Sabbath. The Sabbath points to what? Creation. And God's creative power. Now, when did the preach of this first angel's message begin? So you and I are looking in history, not just to a figure who preached the gospel. We're looking for someone who preached the everlasting gospel and began to also preach that the judgment is come. That's different. Paul preached the gospel, and that judgment will come. But Paul never preached judgment, the gospel, and that judgment has come. Someone in history would begin to start preaching the everlasting gospel, and that judgment has it's come. When did that happen? Now, there were actually a few people 
prior to William Miller. But the reason we go with 1831, there were people like Lacunza. Do you remember the name Lacunza? You can read about it in Great Controversy. He was a he was a Jesuit priest, wasn't he? Who became converted to the Protestant faith, began to preach about Daniel 8:14. He knew this. He knew a great part of this was before William Miller. There were children in Sweden who were preaching this. But the person who became the most famous, the most, was William Miller. An American in America, with a great revival was going on in America. People were opening up spiritually. 100,000 people embraced the message that God used to bring our start by William Miller. 1831. William Miller was told a voice, go, tell it to the world. In his mind, he hears this. Their blood will I acquire at thy hand for, and for nine years he waited. The burden still pressing upon his soul until 1831, for the first time publicly gave the discourse of his faith. That's when it started. We got a date for it. Okay? So logically, angel number two comes when? A little later. And angel three and angel four, so, right? The second angel's message. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon has fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Who's Babylon? Well, in the Bible's prophecy, Mother Babylon is Church of Rome. But if you're described as a mother, you have you have children. So at some point after 1831, the second angel's message is saying, Babylon, Babylon has fallen, has fallen. And it cannot be in reference to the Church of Rome because it had been a fallen church for over a thousand years. That actually wouldn't be a true statement if it was just in reference to Catholicism. It has to be in reference to the other churches because they rejected which message? The first one. The first one. Most of these churches back in the 1800s reject the whole idea that Jesus was coming back very soon. They are what we call post-millennialists. They believe Jesus wouldn't come back until after a thousand years of peace on earth. But Jesus says the world would become worse and worse. You're not heading to a thousand years of peace on earth. You're heading towards the seven last plagues. And then the end. And so there was a time when this was true. And it was true. In the 1800s, most of these Protestant churches became fallen churches. They started sleeping. Became a little bit more liberal. Started getting a little bit further away from the Bible. More and more tradition. And in doing that, they put themselves in a position where they wound up rejecting this whole idea that Christ is coming right away and that there's a judgment. People didn't want to hear about a judgment, partly because of the Industrial Revolution. They thought it was just about the thousand years. The Industrial Revolution, the cotton gin, and things like that, they thought, oh, we're just about ready to usher in the greatest age of human history. Nobody wanted to hear about a judgment. Well, it's not about what we want to hear. It's about what? It's simply about what God's Word says.
The second angel's message, you read about this at Great Controversy 389, the second angel's message of Revelation 14 was first preached in the summer of 1844, but the message of the second angel did not reach its complete fulfillment in 1844, meaning that these fallen away churches haven't reached their full iniquity. It would get worse. Because in the end of time, they're going to pass a religious law and keep people from buying and selling. Well, that's worse. That's worse than what happened in the 1800s. Or even a death decree. That's even worse yet, isn't it? So it would get worse. It hasn't reached as full. They haven't as fallen as... They will fall more fully in the end. Okay? How am I doing for time? Have I already gone over? Huh? No, no I know people care. I mean, uh, let me just finish up a thought here, okay? Third angel. The third angel followed them. Followed them, meaning it came later, Right? Follow them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. When was this preached? First, early writings, page 254. As the ministration of Jesus closed in the holy place, and he passed into the holiest and stood before the ark containing the law of God, he, Jesus, sent another angel with a what? That's pretty clear, isn't it? As <laughs> soon as Jesus leaves the holy place and do his last phase in the most holy place, he says, number three, go. We've already had one, two, time for number three. So when's number four? And I'd like, if I could finish the sermon with number four, just the timing. Okay? The timing of the first three, first angel, 1831, second, summer of 1844, third angel, October 22nd, 1844. Fourth angel. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power. And the earth was lightened with his glory, and he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great has fallen, has fallen. Now it's really fallen. Now it's really, this is right at the end. They were fallen back in the 1800s, but now they are, they are fallen. Very end here. Come out of her. They're so fallen, you've got to come out. You can't stay in. Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins and that you receive not her plagues because most of God's people are where? They're in these fallen churches. They have a real Christ-like love for Jesus, right? I mean, they're following Jesus, but they've got to come out because these churches, they're going to fill up their iniquity. Now, I want to say something here. Look at some of these statements. The truths of the 18th and 19th chapters of Revelation should be read and understood by everybody. The whole of the 18th chapter of Revelation is a warning of what is going on the earth. This is an important point. Because if you want to know what's going to happen at the end of time, what do you need to read? The Bible. The Bible. The Bible says this will happen. How do most people live? Do not risk your eternity on probability. I've talked to a lot of people about what Revelation says is going to happen. And they say, well, I don't think it's going to because. Probability. Eve knew that God loved her. And she loved God. 
There was nothing that should have ever caused any doubt in her mind. And then the day came. And a serpent is in the tree. And he's in this tree in such a happy way, weaving through the tree. And he speaks to her. Why did he speak to her? To get her from certainty to probability. Because in her mind, she began to question why God had withheld the fruit. She just went from certainty to probability. As as if to be able to read her thoughts, which he couldn't, he says, Hath God withheld every tree of the garden? She says, No. Who's she talking to now? A serpent, a talking serpent, who ate the fruit, raising the issue of probability. Just maybe this serpent that acts like my best friend may have a point. She went from sheer certainty of God's love in a very short time to the probability that maybe, just maybe, God was withholding something from her. And if the serpent can talk, And then the serpent says, God knows that if you eat of this, you'll be as God's. Probability? If a serpent could talk, is there probability I could be as God's if you're already along that thinking? That's all the devil's doing right now. He's trying to keep people so busy, they're not studying certainty. To only get them to think along the lines of probability. How many people love their opinions? You know, friends, we have to have certainty. You do not want to risk your eternity on probability. You want to make sure that your eternity is based on the direct word of God on the absolute certainty because if God says we are described as seven angels, be an angel. Get out this message in an angelic way. Be a messenger. Because if you and I follow one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, where are we going to be? We're going to be in heaven. But you know, even within our midst, and I'm talking about here, we've got people who don't want to preach number two and three. It's too straight. We want to go from one to five. One, five, six, seven. You can't get the five without two, three, and four. And that's why we're going to have to take our time. We want to know for certain. And I haven't even explained what the certainty is, have I? All we've talked about is that there are seven angels. And we want to get to number five. And that those angels represent us. And to get to five, you've got to do one, two, three, four. You can't skip any. Because by trying to skip them is why we're still here. And amongst God's people, we talk about the three angels, but we need to talk about the fourth. And I'm going to wait. Till the next sermon. Is that fair?
or is that cruel? <laughs> it's kind of both, and I'm happy. You know, <laughs> but what this is going to do is I want you to get your Bibles and a spirit of prophecy, and you do as much study as you can, and you look up passages that will say where she's quoting Revelation chapter 18, verse 1. Look up statements talking about the angel who's, who's got great power and the earth is light with his glory. Just look up every statement you can and cross-reference in your Bible because the fourth angel is the most powerful message that gives power to the first three. Without number four, we just have a message, but no power. Four is the power to get out the first three. And then we can get to number five. What do you say? Before we have our closing prayer, we have a closing hymn. And 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 Ron, do you have the mailing or the phone list? Okay. Oh, okay, okay. Is it okay if I call you on the phone? I live like two hours and 20 minutes away, and I want to visit you in person. Is it okay just to chat on the phone and pray together? And for me to ask you how I can pray for you, is that fair enough? Because uh, I've had a chance. I've only have a few people's phone numbers, and I've called them. And uh, some of them I tried to call last night, but nobody wants to answer their phone on Friday night. Because they're going to think I'm talking about their car insurance or something, right? So I, I'll tell you, I'm going to call you another night other than Friday night. Okay? Fair warning? Okay. All right. Let's go ahead and have our closing hymn and then our closing prayer. Uh, before we get to the closing hymn, uh, Suri gave me... Uh, this piece of paper, uh, there will be men's group practicing right after the church. So any man who would like to share in their voice for the glory of God, please stay for a few minutes right after church. And uh, closing hymn is 379. We give this child... 